Father, we thank you this morning for the great opportunity that we have to come to the house of God to celebrate Lord, the risen Savior. And we thank you for that privilege. And it is a privilege that, Father, we know you. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day. So God, help us in our remarks to your congregation. I pray, God, that your heart would flow through my lips. And that, God, it would plant seed in our hearts that would grow into a tree that would bear fruit. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have chosen this sermon, and I've preached this before. And I just felt like the Lord said to remind the church of what happened that day when Jesus was crucified. Many people read the story, but never see the interpretation of certain things that transpired on that day. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45, it says, And from the sixth hour, darkness came over all the land unto the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness, like a total eclipse, no light. It must have frightened many people because they packed into Jerusalem at that time for their Passover holiday. People came from far and near. Jesus being crucified outside the city gates like a no count, like a nobody. But when you start to look at the word darkness, it means obscurity. It means shade or shadow. <clears throat> to give a sketchy outline of something. To disclose partially or guardedly. What was happening? What was the message that God was trying to transfer to people and to us this morning? It has a double meaning. Of course, Darkness came. <clears throat> but when you look at the interior meaning of the word, it means to give an indication of something in advance, like to predict a forecast, like the weatherman does at 6 o'clock on the television. It was a foretelling. However, because the word also means obscurity or shadow or shade, it meant... Not everything will be plain to you. Come on. Not everything that happens to you will make sense. Amen. Some of it will be obscure. Come on. God was saying this that day. Darkness came and frightened many people. God was also speaking to the church, I believe, and saying this. I'll give you an outline for your life but not a blueprint that you can look at in one day and say, this is going to be my life. God was saying at times, you will live in obscurity. And God was saying that you will need his light to see in the dark. 
And there's not a person here in the church this morning that hasn't had seasons of darkness, seasons of obscurity, seasons where you cried out to the Lord and said, it doesn't make sense. I know two plus two is four in any universe. But in my life right now, it's not adding up. It's not falling into place. There seems to be some puzzle pieces that are missing. And God says there's going to be times of darkness and obscurity when you're going to need my life. God says, I see your entire life from beginning to end. But he's saying this, I will maneuver you through this journey. Even when things get sketchy and only partially revealed. The Lord is our guide. The Bible says this, that Jesus came out of darkness. Jesus is saying to us this morning, I came out of darkness. And I broke forth like the noonday sun when I rose from the dead. I came out of the tomb. I came out of obscurity. I came out of the darkness that came over the world for three hours. My resurrection life is in you this morning. And I will cause you to come through your darkest moments. And like myself, you will shine like the noonday sun. This is what God is saying to us. I will not forsake you in your darkest moment. I will not forsake you in your obscure moments and situations of life. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 confirms what I just spoke to you. For now we see through a glass darkly. Look at it. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also known. What was God saying to the Corinthian church? There's going to be days of confusion. There's going to be days of obscurity. There's going to be days when you ask questions, why? And you're not going to get an answer. Because you're in darkness. But God said, I will lead you out of that darkness into my marvelous light. God will bring us wisdom and knowledge and victory after a while. But it doesn't come sometimes the day we want it. The plan has to play out. The journey has to be walked through. The accompaniment of the Lord must take place in our lives. Jesus spoke to us and he said in John 8 and 12, he said, this spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You're going to have moments. You're going to have times when you cry, when you plead, when you beg with God and ask Him, why is this happening to me? Come on, preach. Why do I deserve this moment in life? Why am I being plagued in my mind with oppression? Why are things just seemingly dissolving in front of my very eyes? Why isn't this coming to pass? Lord, you spoke. It's not happened. I prayed. It hasn't come true. Lord, I'm beseeching you, holding on to the horns of the altar as I walk through this dark valley. David reminds us that we will walk walk through 
the valley of the shadow of death, but we should fear no evil. I'm sure many of you, when you were small, you were afraid of the dark. You were afraid to go to bed at night in a dark room. Perhaps they had to have some kind of light on, a lamp or something. And that's happened to us spiritually. Sometimes we have to burn the spiritual nightlight. Sometimes we have to have that spiritual lamp on. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet. Praise God. And it's that lamp that comes into our darkness at times to comfort us and to see us through. I want to remind you of four lepers in the Old Testament. In the second book of Kings, chapter 7 and verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, Why sit we here until we die? It was a time of famine. There was no food. They said in verse 4, If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fail not. Let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. And they rose up, look at the word, in the twilight. This is darkness, this is dusk. They rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. What does the word twilight mean? It was the tendency toward darkness. It was dusk. It was the darker stage of twilight, especially in the evening. It was characterized by little or inadequate light. It was shadowy. What was God saying to these four lepers? They were going to die in the city because of famine. And they said, why should we sit here until we die? If we're going to die, we might as well just fall into the hands of the Syrians and we'll die there. What was God saying? The darkness for them represents the obscurities and the trying times of life. This is the ongoing war which represents our fight with evil. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Come on. The four lepers became a blessing because they marched in the dark. They marched in the twilight. Though they were lepers and in pain, they moved on as God was leading them. And when they got to the camp of the Syrians, it was vacant because God had gotten rid of them. And they started to explore. And they found food here and they found food there. And they found this and they found that. And they started to eat. It was because they walked in the dark to find light. Because they walked out of their obscurity into the light of life. They found food. And they said to one another, should we keep this blessing among ourselves? And they said no. And they marched back into the camp of the Jews and said, we have found food. When you allow God to bring you out of your obscurity, and you have gratitude, and you have the right attitude, and we don't murmur and criticize and blame but we allow the plan of God to be revealed in our life, 
God will bring us out of that darkness into His marvelous light. And at that moment, we will have a testimony to others that God did not forsake me. Because people will ask you, well, where's your God? Where is He? Where is this Holy Spirit that the Christians speak about? He's here. He's part of our life. Bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He is Spirit. And though we go through the darkest valleys in life, we sit here this morning on Resurrection Sunday, looking back at our past and looking back at our life, how God has brought us through every quandary. He's brought us through every trial and every tribulation and every curve of life. And He's straightened out the crooked roads in our life. And He's filled the hills and the valleys, praise God, with His praise and adoration and the worship of God. Hallelujah. The angels of God came when we didn't even know it. The Holy Spirit came when we didn't even know it. The power of God fell in our lives and broke the chains of obscurity and led us out into that marvelous light. We stand here this morning on solid ground. We stand here this morning on solid faith. We stand here this morning on the solid promises of God. Darkness over all the land. Can you imagine if 3 o'clock today or 6 o'clock or whatever clock, all of a sudden for no unseen reason, darkness just invaded the earth. I wonder what people would do. I wonder what people would say. They would probably say it's the end of the world. I wonder how many would be ready at that moment to meet God. I wonder how many would be ready if the trumpet sounded. You see, we think that trumpet is so far in the distant future. But no man knows the hour or the day when the Lord will return. Two will be in the field, but only one will be taken. Two will be in the bed, but only one will be taken. And we take that for granted because we think we know when the Lord's coming. And we think we know how long we're going to live. We think we know the end of our story and the end of our journey. But no man knows the hour. No man knows the time. We can only discern the seasons right now. That the world is literally out of control. When men begin to stand up and proclaim that they're the Jesus. When men begin to stand up in Chicago and declare that what happened on Resurrection Sunday really didn't happen. When Mr. Farrakhan begins to say to the world that he's the Jesus and they give him a plaque that says he's the Messiah. Oh, my friend. I have to believe that the Lord, praise God, is close at hand. He said, because there will be Christ. And some will say, I am the Christ. And I am the Christ. And others have come before Him. And others will come after Him. But we know the true Christ. Hallelujah. Born of a virgin. Died on the cross and rose on the third day. That's the true Christ. There's no DNA in His tomb. There's no DNA in His tomb. He took it all back to the Father where He sits at the right hand of God. We play Russian roulette with our spiritual life. Seeking the pleasures of this world. Seeking those things that have no eternal value. And place them in front of God as idolatry. (laughs) My friend, He's coming. And I know you've heard that said by preachers for decades and decades. 
But the Bible warned us in Peter. He said, Peter said in the last day, they will say these words. Where is the promise of his coming? Come on, church. Where is where is it? Come on, preacher Colombo. Come on. Where is the promise of his coming? I don't see Jesus splitting the eastern sky. Oh, don't you worry, my friend. Don't you worry, my friend. <laughs> Keep passing those cemeteries. Keep passing those old-fashioned cemeteries. Where they didn't turn the knob to put the top on. But they had the pine boxes and they had to bang the nails in. When you pass those old-fashioned cemeteries and you hear a strange sound that goes, the nails are beginning to pop. And the lids are beginning to come off, my friend. You see, the dead in Christ shall rise first. But then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Hallelujah. Caught up together to meet the Lord of the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what the word of God says. It doesn't matter what Mr. Farrakhan says. It doesn't matter what any religious leader says. It's what the word of God says. And this word of God is true and this word of God will come to pass in all of our lives. We will all be judged at the end. We will all stand before God. And there'll be no blame game that day. There'll be no, oh, blame the pastor. Blame my wife. Blame my husband. Blame the church. Blame this or blame that. No, God will say, what have you done with my son Jesus? Amen. It's going to be really simple. The Bible said on that day in Matthew 27 and 51, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks rent. The veil of the temple separated the holy from the most holy place, dividing the temple into two compartments. Only the priest once a year could go into the holy of holies. But something phenomenal happened that day that people don't realize. The Bible says in Exodus 26 and verse 31, it says, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work. With cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittin wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. See how precise God is? And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide you between the holy place and the most holy. In the old tabernacle in the Old Testament, there was a veil. There was a veil. And in the New Testament, in the temple, there was a veil. And the Bible says that when Jesus was being crucified, that thou, that veil divided in two. It was no thin drape. Let me describe the veil to you in a moment. The veil was four to six tons. Four to six tons. It stood 60 feet by 30 feet. And four inches thick. It took 300 priests to carry it to its place. It was the entrance to the Holy of Holies. It was actually a type of heaven. That we may see. That we may feel. That we may touch the hem of his garment. What happened that day? 
Not only did darkness come upon the earth, but the veil in the temple, it must have given some tremendous boom as it fell to the floor. Listen, it was six, four to six tons. When something like that falls to the floor and is rent in two, it makes a loud sound. The darkness, and then all of a sudden, this entire veil, broken in two, falls to the ground. Come on. And no longer is there a divide between the holy and the holy of holies. What was God saying? In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God was giving us an opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies without obstacle. That no longer was only the high priest allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But we can go in and out daily, presently, every day, every night, every moment of our lives. And we can explore, praise God, the deep things of God. The Bible says, listen, in Hebrews 10 and verse 16, this is the covenant, this is the agreement that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. It's not on a stone anymore as Moses gave the Ten Commandments. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Think of this. God doesn't even remember what you did. What you confessed. He's put it in the sea of forgetfulness. Now where remission of sin of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Jesus died once for the sins of mankind. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into, listen now, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil. Through the veil, he broke the veil, praise God. That is to say, his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. You know what this allows us, friends? It allows us opportunity to come into the presence of God. It allows us relationship. It allows us to pray. It allows us fellowship. It allows us the breaking of bread. It allows the eyes of God to look into our heart. It allows the eyes of God to look into our heart. Amen. And when I walk into that holiest place, which is the throne room of God, he says, come boldly unto the throne room of God. I expect God to show me things that I have never seen before or heard by his spirit. I expect to hear truth so I can discern what's false. I expect to experience love and compassion and concern. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this that when you walk into the holiest place, God will show you your blind spots. Come on. God will show you the darkness that's in your life. He will. God will reveal the secrets of your heart. Not to punish you, not to crucify you, not to make you feel guilty or ashamed but to free you from the bondage mm-hmm. the chains have enwrapped around you. Yes, thank you, Lord. 
This is why we come back to the house of God. This is why we pray. This is why we worship Him. So we can go into that holy of holies. So that we can have not only a corporate and collective experience together with God. But so that we can have an individual experience with Him. We have no idea what happens in a church service. We have no idea how God begins to move in people's hearts. How this sermon is delineated unto you. How this sermon is given to your heart at your moment of life. It might be different from what's given to another person. But God knows how to bring the interpretation to the individual person. But also collectively to the church to give the message of the hour. What's God saying? He's saying what he said in Revelation 3.20. This was to the church. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This is going into the Holy of Holies. This is why that veil is broken in two. This is why it fell to the ground with a great boom. This is why Jesus was crucified on the cross to make a new and living way for the church and for us as people to enter into the holiest place and say, God, I am your child, and God recognizing you as a son and daughter of God. Come on, hallelujah. The darkness, the veil, then the Bible says there was an earthquake. Listen, my friend, I don't know about you, but if these things happen right today, (laughs) I tell you what, I'd be trembling. I'd be a bit fearful. I'd be saying, what's going on here? First there's darkness and then there's this gigantic boom in the church. Like the building fell down. (laughs) And then an earthquake? What is an earthquake? Think about what an earthquake is. It's a violent convulsion in the earth. Here's people looking at the master being crucified. Who was tortured. Brutalized. And they're watching. Darkness come. The veil rent in two. And now an earthquake. They must have been saying to themselves, what's next? Because that's what each one of us would be saying. What's next? What is an earthquake? It's destruction. It's death. It's devastation. It's upheaval. You know what God's saying? I want to create an earthquake in your life. Yes, sir. You know, sometimes the only way that God can move us is through an earthquake. He said in the book of Hebrews that one more time will I shake the earth. Yes. And not the earth only, but the heavens. And he said the only thing that will remain is that which is based on the word of God. Yes, sir. Hear what the Lord's saying this morning. God, when he sees you stuck, when he sees you in a rut, when he sees you in a place or a thing or a situation that's not good for you, he will create an earthquake in your life spiritually, emotionally, socially, financially, physically, whatever it takes to bring you back into the holy of holies. What's God saying? God's saying, I will create an earthquake for those things that are hard to move. Like stubbornness, pride, selfishness. And you know what an earthquake consequence is 
rubble. When there's an earthquake, buildings fall. Timbers come down. Bricks come down. Mortar comes down. And the emergency team goes in and they try to look among the rubble. Come on. For what? For people. And God is saying this. I will cause an earthquake to come into your life if need be. And your life will become rubble. Come on. Listen. God is looking for someone in the rubble. God is looking for someone in the devastation. Come on. God is looking for the fine end product. Come on. God is looking to do a work in your life because it's His good will and His good pleasure to do that work. Yes. And if necessary, to bring you back to His bosom. If necessary, to bring you back to the place where you belong. God will cause an earthquake in your life and all of a sudden it will come up and smoke and you will say, my God, I've been smashed into smithereens. But don't, praise God, be downcast. Because the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, is the emergency squad that comes and says, there must be somebody in the rubble. There must be my son in the rubble. There must be my daughter in the rubble. And I want to get that pearl, praise God. I want to get that golden nugget and I want to get that child out of that rubble before they die. Glory to God. That's why people say my life was just great. No problems. Everything was on time. Everything was good good to go. G to G, good to go. (laughs) Then everything fell apart. Everything disintegrated before my very eyes. Why? Because God wants to produce that earthquake and free you from people, places, and things that are not healthy for you, but toxic and poisonous to your spirit. You see, God is a jealous God. (laughs) And He will not give you up easily. He will fight for you. See, that's what a man does. He fights for his queen. He fights for his bride. He fights for his wife. That's the reason that God fights for us. Because we are his bride. And when something comes our way that interferes with our relationship with him, he says, guess what? I'm going to allow darkness. I'm going to allow the earthquake because I love you so much. I have to get your attention. You see, we think we can run. We think we can hide in the cave somewhere. We think out of sight, out of mind. But don't you think that? Because Jeremiah reminded us in Jeremiah 4 and 3, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Plow up your ground. Freshly plowed land. It's through the idea of the gleam of a fresh furrow. It means to till the soil. It means to break up the soil. Hosea said it in Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. It says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, and break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. What's God saying? If you don't go out and allow the spiritual plow to come to your heart, I will assume the spiritual plow in your life 
And that will cause an earthquake to happen. So I will get your attention. You see, the earthquake also represents spiritual violence accomplished by Jesus against the kingdom of darkness. When that earthquake was taking place, God was sending a message to Satan and to hell. Don't you worry. I'm breaking out of this. Amen. I know you see me on the cross and you think you've won a great victory. And Jesus was saying, when you hear the words, it is finished, you think you've won the victory because I will give up the ghost. But don't worry. It's Friday. And Sunday is a coming. Glory to God. It's Friday. But Sunday is a coming. Come on. Three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the whale. It was a type and shadow to come of three days and three nights where Jesus would be in the tomb. He says, don't you worry. The earthquake is a prelude. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out from these rocks. I'm breaking out from the stone that's in front. I'm breaking out from the soldiers that are guarding the tomb. What was God saying? Satan, you don't know it, but this is your knockout punch. Come on. Come on. And it didn't take me 15 rounds to knock you out. I got you in the first round. You don't even know it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This was the death blow against the enemy, against his kingdom. When Jesus said it is finished, people were astonished. Because the Roman soldiers would say that when they won a victory in war. And the leader would stand on the highest rock and say, it is finished. Which was a memo to the Roman soldiers. We have won. Victory is at hand. We have defeated the enemy. And when Jesus said those words on the cross, it is finished. The Roman centurion that was standing there said, Surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. Praise God. The enemy has been put under the feet of Jesus Christ and has been vanquished. And when he starts playing with your life and your soul and your eternity, expect something to happen if you're not on the right path with God. Listen, God didn't come to tickle our ears this morning. It is Resurrection Sunday. Come on. But God has come to bring us truth. And unless we have that boldness to bring truth to people, we're not doing what God has called us to do. The earthquake came. The darkness the veil split in two and then the earthquake. And then the rocks split. What's going on here? What's going on here? The rocks, boulders started to split in half everywhere. Can you imagine standing near some rock or near some big uh, structure and all of a sudden the darkness, the veil, the earthquake and now the rocks are dividing in half? Are we losing our minds? Is this a dream? Is this actually happening? What have we done to this man on the cross? Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we should have crucified Barabbas. Where was Barabbas that day? They chose Jesus to crucify. But Barabbas, who was a murderer, who was supposed to go to the cross and die, He got a governor's pardon. Where was he? Was he there? Was he looking? What happened to Barabbas? Did he ever repent? Do we hear anything about him? What happened to the man? 
Did he go back home saying, a man took my place. A man died for me. That's the message the church needs to hear this morning. That's the message America needs to hear this morning. That someone died for our sins and his name is Jesus Christ. And he came as the son of God and as the son of man. And he was crucified, praise God. And he died on the cross. We minimize. He's not a gold cross around our neck. He died on a bloody cross. Yes, the cross that we wear on our necks reminds us of the crucifixion. But it was a bloody tree. It was a torture. It was an abuse that most would have given up and said, what's the point? He said, I can call 12 legions of angels, but I will not. I have chosen to drink this cup that my Father has given me. And Jesus prayed, not my will, Father, but your will be done in my life. You know what it represents when the rocks split? What does God want to divide in your life? Come on. He wants to divide us sometimes from something. Someone. A person. A place. Or a thing. That's not the will of God. Sometimes God wants to separate us from others. From toxic relationships. From friends. That are not healthy for us. From habits and addictions that are not good for us. That we laugh about. That we say, it's okay. I got plenty of time just in case. No, we don't. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know the day or the hour. What's God saying? God is saying this to us. The rocks split. We need to allow God to get to the rubble. And through humility and brokenness, separate us, praise God, unto himself as he separates us from those things that are negative and those things that are rubble. Amen. Come on. We refuse our pride, our stubbornness, our rebellion. He says, I know better than God. And we play God. Come on, preach. I know how to do this. I'm, I, I'm in control. I got this. Hey, I got this. Come on. I don't need nobody's help. Mm. I don't need no preacher telling me how to live. <laughs> That's okay. You won't be able to blame me on judgment day. Right. There you go. <laughs> you won't be able to accuse me. Right. Because Jesus loves us so much that he will give us the truth. You see, the Bible says in Matthew 10, 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. Amen. What's that saying? This Bible divides. This Bible divides. It divides friendships. Sometimes it divides family. Sometimes it divides churches. It divides relationships. It divides. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace at this moment. But I came to bring a sword to separate you from that which is not my will. To separate that which is not in my plan for your life. Amen. Come on. Fight it all you want. Stay stuck all you want. But you'll never know the peace of God in your heart until you surrender with humility. And brokenness before God. And say, God, 
not my will, but yours be done. The darkness, the veil, the earthquake, and the rocks split. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 44, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Come on. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Mm. It will grind him to powder. Our pastor used to say, never put your boxing gloves on with God. You will lose. Man is so stout in his pride. Man is so stout in his thinking. And our best thinking gets us where we are at the moment. And if we're not in God's will, where he wants us to be, he loves us so much that he will maneuver us to that place to get us to come back to the Holy of Holies and into his presence. Closing. The darkness, the veil, the earthquake, and the rocks splitting. Then the resurrection. Jesus shocked the world. I said he shocked the world. He came to the disciples and he said, three days, I'll tear down this temple and rebuild it. I said, Master, do you know how long it took to build this synagogue? Do you know how long it took to build this temple? They didn't get it. He meant the body. His flesh. He allowed to be broken. To be crucified and tortured. So that I can live. Talk about a friend. Talk about someone who really cares. Talk about someone that was willing to assume my sins. And nail them to the cross. And declare me before the Father not guilty. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. A sad statistic on the television the other evening. Church membership attendance. All time low in America. Strikingly, as you see the graph go downward, people are just not interested in church just not interested in the gospel and if it wasn't for the baby boomers and the traditional believers that graph would go down even further Come on, man. because it's the baby boomers and the traditionalists that believed in church that are still attending houses of God that keep that graph where it's at right now Come on. when we die off When God takes us from this earth, what will be the status of the church in years to come? One hundred Protestant churches a week are closing in America. Eighteen hundred ministers a month are leaving the ministry. Is that not a clue? Is that not like a clue, a piece to the puzzle? That there's something radically wrong spiritually in our midst. When you go home and leave this church this morning, look at the parked cars in the driveways of homes that you will pass. 
Think about the children that live in that home that will never darken the door of a church, that will grow up as people that never knew God. I can't even imagine that happening to a little child. I cannot imagine how a child would survive spiritually in the future without God. It's frightening. You know, I was privileged to be asked to preach at a men's breakfast yesterday. You know the highlight of my day? And I love preaching. I love preaching especially to men. But you know the highlight of my day? Was to see my grandson. Sitting in a seat with my name, hearing his pa preach. It brought back memories. It brought back memories of my namesake, my nephew, Frederick. Who a few weeks before he was killed heard me preach in Brooklyn, New York above the train station where the trains go back and forth in a room where I was invited to preach and a little while later he was gone. I said, Lord, you're bringing me comfort today, aren't you? By putting a Young boy in my midst with my name to remind me of the goodness and the kindness and the graciousness of God. Come on. Thank you. It means a lot. And hopefully, a memory in his life forever as he walks the earth, reminding him of his grandpa. I heard Pa preach. And I'll never forget that day. Mm. And he probably won't because he won five taco tickets for free tacos. <laughs> Don't forget the break, Jeff. <laughs> he didn't want that. He won a Bible and he wants something else. Two onion blossoms at restaurants. Boy, did he get blessed out of his socks. <laughs> and you know what he said to me? He said, Pa, at the table. You want to see my Bible? Mm-hmm. Come on, man. What's greater than that? Mm-hmm. Not my Taco Bell free food? Mm-hmm. Not, not the onion blossoms? Mm-hmm. Do you want to see my Bible? Come on. He was proud of that. Yes, sir. And that's what this is about, my friend. Amen. This is about getting our family to heaven. This is about getting our children and our grandchildren grounded in the word of God. This is not a joke. The enemy is coming. And he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. But the resurrection of Christ, God says, I've come to give you life and to give you that life more abundantly. 
And as I close, Paul the Apostle said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. What was Paul saying? I've got the resurrected product in my life. I've got the resurrected Savior in my life. I've got the resurrected power of God in my life. And praise God, that faith will bring me home. Paul declared to the church in Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live but yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and gave himself for you praise God and for the church and for our country if we'll dare listen to the words of God today hallelujah Jesus is coming and it's time for the church to get ready Jesus is coming and it's time for America to get ready Jesus is coming it's time for the Senate and the Congress to get ready. Jesus is coming. It's time for the president and everyone else to get ready. Jesus is coming. God bless you and thank you for listening. Glory to God. Hallelujah.